Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. This episode of Kicks and Bricks is brought to you by NYC Cops and Kids. NYC Cops and Kids is one of New York's premier boxing gyms for kids ages 12 through 21. Located at 667 East 34th Street in Brooklyn. They offer a wide variety of classes with some of the most skilled trainers in Brooklyn. NYC Cops and Kids has a pipeline of athletes that have gone on to do great things in boxing and their communities. You can donate to the gym, which is a privately funded program, at nypdboxing.com. Welcome to a special double episode of Kicks and Bricks. Part one of this special fight episode features UFC legend Rashad Evans. What's up, Rashad? How you doing? I'm good, man. How about you? I've been all right. Uh, so, like, since the pandemic hit, how have you been maintaining? I've been maintaining pretty good, you know, just been um, trying to keep myself uh, focused on what I can focus on, you know, and that's just been, you know, my internal mindset and just kind of trying to stay focused. You know, I'll be, I'll be honest, you know, there, there are times where just, uh, just dealing with the stress of everything and, um, you know, the feeling of not being in control can get the better of you. But uh, I've been able to find a way just to kind of bring myself back to, to, to uh, balance. So like coming from like a fighter's point of view, like, do you feel like it's harder to train under like social, social distancing and quarantine rules? Yeah, it's really hard because, you know, um, you know, everything that we do as a fighter is all about, uh, you know, being in close quarters with somebody, you know, and, 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 and we need, you know, we need another body in order to get the kind of training we need to rise to the level to fight on fight night, you know? So we have to be able to, uh, to be able to work with somebody. We have to be able to touch people. We have to have that contact. I mean, you can train and get in pretty decent shape, uh, just like hitting the mitts and stuff like that. But there's nothing like that, that pressure, that feeling you have when somebody's in your face and you actually have to, to keep somebody up off of you, you know? Right. It's kind of like basketball. Like if you're hurt, you can do like all the training that you want, but like it doesn't actually compare to like being on the court. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So like, so like while the rest of the world shut down, like Dana White, he, he kept on pushing with UFC, with, with Fight Island. Like if you yeah. were still fighting, like would you participate like in a fight under those circumstances? Or would you yeah, like out? I, I, I would have participated. I would participate in the fights in these circumstances. I mean, you know, just watching, just watching, just watching, just watching how um, all these athletes that are competing during the pandemic, you know, they're, they're really fighting at a different level. 
and they're fighting at a different level just because there's this feeling in the air, this uncertainty in the air about, you know, not knowing what tomorrow brings and not knowing what tomorrow brings. It allows you to fight and, and compete at a different place, you know? So just for that experience alone, to be able to compete at a different place on an internal level, I would have, uh, I would have liked that challenge for myself, you know? So like early on in your career, like you trained under Dan Severin, like I felt Dan w was a guy that was ahead of his time. Like he was one of the first crossover athletes that dominated MMA and then he kind of dipped his toes into pro wrestling, like what Brock Lesnar is doing today. Yeah. So what was it like training under him and like learning? From him? Um, it was it was pretty cool because Dan was um you know, Dan's a legend. And like you said, you know, he's a pioneer in so many different ways. He's a pioneer in MMA. And he's also a pioneer in that crossover space and, uh, and, and getting to pro wrestling. Um, so, yeah, I, I had a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, good upbringing in my early MMA. You know, get a chance to be able to, um, you know, Dan even managed me at one point, you know, just trying to help, um, you know, make, make it so that I was able to get on the scene. And he actually helped me get into the UFC. So Dan was a r real big integral part of me. Uh, getting into the UFC and, and me becoming, you know, a big part of who I was, you know, um, and having Dan by my side, you know, and, and it's something like this, like there's times where me and Dan, like I went to a fight where Dan was fighting on the fight. And it's just one thing to, to, uh, to, to, to hear a guy talk about what it means to, to face their fears and, and to go down a road that a fighter has to. And it's another thing to watch that man do that. I watched Dan get the snot beat out of him and, the way he did it, the way the pride he had around it, and just the tenacity of, of not giving up, you know, that stuck with me for a long time. That let me knew, let me know, like the level in which I should aspire to be at. All right, so like I kind of want to talk like hypotheticals here, like in your opinion, like who would win like in a big money match or fight between um. Rock Lesnar and Dan Severn, both in their athletic primes. Oh man, that's 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 a good one. Um, I, I gotta say Brock, just because Brock has that that pure mass. But then again, Dan Severn was one of those guys who had like these positions that that if he got you in these positions, there's no way you're gonna get out, you know. And when it comes to being on top, having Dan Severn on you and side control. Man, he can find some ways to just, you know, uh, make you, put you in pain and have you squealing in ways you never thought you could just because he's got them old school tricks. You know, whether he's sticking his thumb in your ear hole or something crazy like that. You know, Dan Dan had a bunch of different uh, different old school tricks that allowed him to get the advantage on you. Like, um, and I feel like Kurt Angle, like another pro wrestler, I felt he would have, like, not dominate MMA if he would have went that route, but but I think he would have had like a Hall of Fame MMA career. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Yeah, I think so too. Um, have you ever considered like stepping inside the squared circle for pro wrestling? Yeah, I, I thought about it. I thought I did. I thought about it uh, a few times. One of my one of my good friends, Sabatino, uh, and they call him Tino. He's on next, and um, he he's doing pro pro wrestling. And for a while, when he first started. I thought about doing it too, but you know, it's such a grind and, and, and it'd be a mistake to think that I'll be leaving one grind to go for a lesser grind. But 
at the end of the day, I think that the, the, the wrestling grind is a harder grind than the MMA grind. So I would just be going from, you know, right into the, to, right into the pot, into the fire pan, you know? Right. Like, and you talked about that grind. Like, can you talk about like the, the grind to like move up the ladder in UFC, like starting from like an amateur to like, to where you eventually ended up? Yeah. Um, it's all about the grind and, and being able to uh, find a way to push yourself to, to a limit that to, to, to a level that you're outworking your opponents because at the end of the day, that's what you're really com- competing against. Right. But what you're doing is, is you're, you're trying to uh, develop a mentality that allows you to have the mental advantage and know that you can push your body and push your, and push your, uh, your will more than your opponent. And, and that's what a fight truly is. A fight is about me imposing my will on you. And if my will is stronger than yours, then I'm going to win. And I make my will stronger. I mean, there are chances where, you know, will or, or, or skill or luck or whatever beats will. But for the most part, when it comes time to it, will, it, it, I'll put will against anybody, you know. And um, when my will can, can outpower yours, that's what I'm going to win. So when it comes to that grind, I just, I just know that. And I just know the more I can push myself, the more I can put myself through now on my own, st- on my own conditions, and the more I can mentally make myself suffer now, then there's nothing that anybody or anything can do to put me in a place to suffer anymore. And then that liberates me. What you just said kind of reminded me of that quote. Um, I think it's hard work beats talent when talent when talent doesn't work hard, something like that. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. That's exactly it. So like, when did you feel like you finally arrived as a fighter? Um. You know, I really, I think I went through different stages. I think, I think when I felt like, okay, I can actually, you know, I, I can, I'm pretty decent. Like, like things were coming together the night I, the night I fought Chuck, you know what I'm saying? That was one of those nights, you know, because as a fighter, you know, um, you never know what kind of fighter you're going to be. You know what I'm saying? You can always be one of those fighters who get to the big show and you can beat everybody else. But when it comes to the big night, you can't arrive on, on fight night, you know, on a big fight. And, there, and there's guys who have the whole career like that, and, and, and it just sucks, you know what I'm saying? Because they're such good fighters, but when it comes time to just arrive in on a big night, they never could, they never could do it. And um, to be able to, to know that I was one of those fighters that could, that could rise on a good night, on, on a hard night, and make it my night, that, um, that allowed me to know that I, I, I made it. Because when you can make it, on a night where you may, where people may think you may lose or the odds are stacked against you and somehow, some way you find a way to do it, then you know that you're competing at a different level than everybody else around you. So like you fought like a lot of heavyweights and um, a lot of UFC legends, like who was like the, um, the toughest fight that you had to deal with in your career? You know, my, my toughest fight has always been against myself. You know, I don't think there was any one opponent that uh, has ever embodied the, 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 um, the challenge that I received just from being able to, to face myself and go into the octagon, you know? I think that, that part can be understood enough because, you know, it's all about that mental, that mental fortitude that you have and, and knowing, that, um, knowing that 
how you're going to ride that mental roller coaster because that's what it is. You 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 go from your training feeling uber confident, ninety percent physical, ten percent mental, for you know about seven eight weeks, and then when it comes time to fight week, then that changes, and then it's ninety percent mental and ten percent physical, and then if you haven't worked on your mental uh, gain that whole time, that that flip can can disorient you can can make you get a little bit disoriented and um make you make you feel as if like you're not as good as you you are or not as prepared as you really are and um that's when riding and being able to um ride that emotional roller coaster gets tough you know that's pretty deep what you said because like i know a, a lot of basketball players they're good on the court but like as far as like the mental aspect of the game like is like the mental part is just as important as the physical part. And I see mm-hmm. that's kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the well. mental, the mental, the mental part is, 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 um, is really everything when it, when it comes down to it, you know, because, you know, at, at a certain level, you're, you're a star competing against uh, many other stars and there's not much that separate you versus everybody else, but it's just the little, the little intangibles, that makes um, that makes a champion a champion. You know, looking at John Jones, um, you know he he's almost unflappable when it comes to just his performances. Um, and you look at what he's got going on outside their cage, and it's a complete circus. But somehow, some way, having all of that going on that anchors him down. That allows him to, you know, compete the way that he does. Where it may maybe somebody else that may just eat him up to the point where you know, they, they, they burn up, you know what I'm saying? So it, it all depends on um, how you're able to, to ride that, that ride. So like throughout some of your fights, you walked out to, um, to, to Shook Ones by Mob Deep. Like you talk about like mentally, what does that song, like, what does that song do for you? Like, as far as like getting yeah. hyped up? It takes me back to a time where, um, where my life was, was, was uh, really relatable to, to the lyrics in those songs and, and just like um, to, to, a, to a mindset and feeling that I had. And um, being able to have those, those cold feelings, being able to be able to disassociate your, your feelings from, from the actions, you know what I'm saying? Just being able to mm-hmm. be cold like that and just, um, just embodying just, uh, just that mindset. That's what I wanted to embody before when I went out there, because when you get in the cage, it, it really is like, you know, you know, dog eat dog for real, literally, you know, and um, you're, you're fighting, you're fighting everything you can to, to, to make it so that it's your night and um, everything that, that you do has to, has to resonate with that. Like, you know what, it's, it's me or you survival of the fittest type of mentality. And that's another classic Mob Deep song from the infamous yeah. Yeah, Survival yeah. of the Fittest. Survival right. of the Fittest. One, one, of my, one of my illest songs that I came out to was um, When I Fought Chuck Liddell by Immortal Technique. It was called The Point of No Return. And I came out to that joint just because I knew after I, uh, after I fought Chuck, no matter if I won or lost, my, my, my life wouldn't be the same no more. So the place where I was at, I would never be there again. Well, that makes sense. And, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it was mm-hmm. and it was a departure from the old me into 
whatever this new me was going to be, whether it was going to be, you know, me springing into a star or me just springing into just being, you know, another highlight reel for Chuck Liddell. Did you have like a preferred weight class that, that you like to fight at? Cause I know like you was at heavyweight. I like light heavyweight. Light heavyweight allowed me to um, have a few things that, that all the other light heavyweights didn't, you know, I was fast and, and because I was small, it allowed me to, uh, move a certain kind of way and, and be able to, um, to land shots and land takedowns that people didn't expect. And the thing about it is the fact that if you see me, I'm so small, I'm really, really small. And, and, and you, and I'm one of the people that you'd be like, you know, it, it's easy to underestimate somebody like me. So me being small, me just being so unassuming, I surprised a lot of people when I was in the cage, because when I was in there, I fought with a tenacity that they just couldn't anticipate. So earlier you mentioned John Jones, like how emotional was it you to fight him? Like after everything that happened prior between you guys? Um, I, I was real emotional, you know, uh, you know, John, John, and I felt, I felt kind of close to John, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I felt like, um, I felt like, you know, we vibed really well and I really enjoyed the training sessions that we had. Cause I felt as if like, um, I felt like I was growing off of that, the training sessions, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, being at a certain point in your career, but then having somebody that's just have young energy and has different kind of energy, they kind of reignite here. He reignited me in a lot of different ways and he reignited my imagination when it comes to just like different moves and combinations. So, I really enjoyed him as a training partner and I really enjoyed the energy that he had uh, that he brought. So when I had to uh, fight him, it was difficult and it was difficult more than just for the way I felt about him, but just, um, you know, the situation with Greg, the Greg Jackson. And, uh, you know, at the point, you know, Greg Jackson, Mike Winkle, John, those guys were, were my guys, you know, they were, they were there in, in the foxhole with me when, on my, on my roughest nights, you know, and then uh, facing my scariest opponents and, you know, some of my biggest highlights, they've been the guys who were, who helped engineer those nights. And um, to have them to turn their back on me, it was a slap in the face. It was as if like, damn, after everything we've been through, it's like nothing, you know? So like, to me, what was interesting about that fight, it would, it, it went the distance. And like back then, like a lot of John Jones, Jones opponents, like the fight was over, like within the first two rounds. So yeah. I think that's what kind of stuck out to me the most about that fight. Yeah, I felt I felt as if like um, you know, with that fight with John, like I felt as if like maybe um, you know, I had my opportunities in that fight early out. You know, I hit him with some things that uh, that that wobbled him, and I just you know, but but you know, he just fought a solid game plan. You know, and um, you know, he was just John Jones, super clever. And just uh, you know, he, he deserved the win that night. But um, it, it was it was hard to lose that fight just because you know the emotional connection w mm -hmm. with Greg and everything else like that. But you know, it's um, it's part of the game. You know, there's winners, there's losers, and and at some point, if you're not willing to be either one of those, then you shouldn't be playing the game. Did um, did taking that fight against John kind of like help um, heal old wounds a little bit? Yeah, for sure. It brought me one step closer to, uh, you know, un un unpacking this, this uh, I guess, 
this this mindset or just you know unpacking you know unpacking me help me get to discover more about myself because that's what these fights are these fights are wins and losses but you you gain and you grow from these experiences tremendously you know whether you win or you lose you you grow and most of the time when you have your biggest setbacks is when you grow the most so I'm thankful for all my lessons that I that I've been able to grow you know all these losses that I had allowed me to to um to propel and grow in ways that that I may not have if I had one you know if I had may have got my way you know maybe it wouldn't have been everything that I thought of who knows but at the end of the day I'm thankful for where those lessons have taken me. All right. Um, what was like the turning point and kind of like rebuilding your friendship with John? Um, you know, I mean, I think that, I think once we just, you know, we, we looked in each other's eyes and just kind of talked and just kind of um, like just seeing that there was no, you know, there was no maliciousness still, you know, I think a big part of how John and I um, got cool again is because his mom, you know, his mom was, was a woman who was a, was a beautiful soul. She was such a sweet woman. Um, you know, when him and I were going through our thing with, with the beef and everything, he would, uh, she, she would, um, you know, no matter if she knew I was around, because she was blind, if she, if she knew I was around, if I was around, she would uh, call me over to her. And then she'd call me over and then she'd say, she'd say to me, you know, Rashad, I, I don't, I, I know what's going on with you and John. And you said, Rashad, you know, uh, you know, I think you're a good guy. And, you know, when you see me, come and speak to me. And she always just have words of encouragement, just even outside of just fighting. You know what I'm saying? But she asked me how I was doing. She asked how my family was doing. And she was just um, just a very sweet person, you know. And, and just knowing how sweet she was and knowing what kind of woman she was, I knew what was at the base of John Jones. So no matter how much I didn't like him, I liked his mama, you know what I'm saying? So I knew at some point there, there, there was some way that him and I can connect again. And, uh, and we did, you know? All right. So a few years ago, like you was enshrined in the UFC hall of fame, like did your career feel vindicated when you received that award or, or, um, or are you the type of guy who don't need like awards or to, to feel that vindication? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't need to feel the vindication, but I will tell you this though. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I felt very honored. I felt, um, emotional about it. It was, uh, it was, it was still, it's still one of the biggest highlights of my life. Um, so it's something that I cherish, but at the same time, I didn't need it to, to validate me or anything like that because, you know, I felt, I, I, I know what I've done in my career, you know, things didn't end in my career the way I wanted to, but. I think that allows me to have room in another area in which I, I want to um, I want to still uh, pick up that fire and put it towards something else, you know. And and that's just the thing that that have driven me towards fighting would drive me and propel me to do something else with the same kind of vigor, the same kind of passion, in which I once competed at. So, um, you know, it, it, it for me it gave me closure. It gave me closure on on the on the whole fighting you know uh there's times where i still want to compete you know i still feel healthy enough to compete i still feel good enough to compete and you know frankly i feel better than i have frankly i feel better than i have you know and um you know so so it's um it's one of those things that 
like it's, it's one of the things that um that i just i just continue to uh feel blessed that i've been a part of it and uh I look back on the whole UFC experience with just a smile and just realize that I was a part of something very cool and, and, and once in a lifetime, as far as just, you know, from the bottom to where it is right now and, and being able to feel, feel that it, uh, it makes me proud. All right. So like the average, like the average time for a former athlete to, to reinvent himself is I think it's four or five years, give or take. So, um, so like, how was your reinvention process like going from a fighter to a media personality? Um, it's it's going it's going pretty good. Like, uh, you know, it, it's not it's not a steady you know it's not a steady thing. I just um, you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Okay. I just have to remind. I have to remind myself to be patient and to um, and to uh, give give myself enough room to feel the way that I genuinely feel about it. You know, if I feel um, you know upset or, or or any kind of way, then then I need to allow myself to feel that. You know, I feel as if like um, I feel as if like with with where I am at right now, um, it's hard at times. It's hard at times because you still do feel the phantom pains of, of wanting to, to fight. You know, my whole year and my whole time of life has been marked by by fighting. You know what I'm saying? I've been able to quantify a year just by how many fights I take in a year or based on how busy I am around fights. And when you don't have that any anymore, you just kind of feel as if like uh, – timers running away from you or you just can't find a way to uh to, to make your time mean anything because you're not doing what you once did so it, it's a challenge but at the same time i feel like i'm i'm finding the right things that i'm passionate about so that it allows me to put that passion that i have in fighting into something else that i'm passionate about so like since you like since you retired like you changed your diet and the and became a vegan. Um, also, like you talk about, like how um, shrooms like kind of help transform your your views on diet um, and just basically on everyday life. Yeah, uh, yeah. The the the, um, the plant medicine, the mushrooms have definitely uh, been an intricate part of just helping me um, see myself and just to understand. Um, what I need to do to to bring the best out in myself, you know, the the, the mushrooms they offer um, they offer me a perspective on myself in which I wasn't able to see, and that's the power of the mushrooms. You know, we get so caught up so many times in just a way of thinking. We get in these thinking ruts, and it's hard to get out of these thinking ruts um, because it, we don't have something to take us out of that 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 pattern of thinking. When you do the psilocybin, the, the, the mushrooms, it, it has a way of getting you to step out of that perspective and see, you know, yourself from a different perspective. And as you know, in life, you know, perspective is everything. You can look at a problem that you had 
you know, five years ago and you say, you know what, the only thing that's different now is the fact that now you have perspective and you can make a different decision now. So that's basically the same thing when you do uh, these sessions with the mushrooms that allow you to have that perspective without having that time go by and allows you to assess a situation from that viewpoint and you can make a, a better decision. And it just helps you also to, um, there's something very ancient and there's something very, um, very divine that we forgot about ourselves. And we forgot about the divinity that's inside of ourselves. We forgot about how we link to the all. We forgot how we link to everything in creation. And when you, you do the mushrooms, you feel the connection with, with things that, um, things you wouldn't normally feel the connection with. You know, it, it breaks down a lot of walls and it actually gives you the vision um, to see clear and see uh, things that's so not in the, um, the program set of things as, as most people call the matrix. Right. And me personally, I really think like psychedelics can really uh, expand your mind and, and our consciousness. Yeah. And, and, I, and I definitely think even for, um, you know, people of color, you know, uh, black people can definitely get a lot out of this because we suffer a lot just from, um, just from, just from a history of just not knowing who we are at a deep basis. You know what I'm saying? Just that, that who, you know, we call ourselves black, which is not even a real race. It's a color, you know what I'm saying? And we, we're, we're the lost people. And we feel that at such a level that's inexplicable, you know? And um, when, when you do things like this, the mushroom, it allows you to tap into yourself where it bridges the gap on a lot of those missing things. I remember the first time I had DMT, like I can't really explain the trip. It's kind of hard to explain. Yeah. But, um, but when I like finally awoke from it, it was like, I want to say 20 minutes, maybe, I don't even know, but it was like a revolution in my brain was like going on and I came out like so relaxed and like my whole mindset just changed on how I view myself, how I view others. It was like, I was looking at myself in the mirror. Like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. No, I, 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 I totally get it. I get it. I totally get it. You don't need to explain because I feel you and, and, and I understand because I've been there I've been there. I've been there many times. You know, the medicine has a way of making you look at life and making you see things way different. You know, making you see things at, at a way that you never thought was even possible, where it's not even feasible. You know, concepts and understandings that that just seem so foreign right now, but when you're in a state of mind, they seem like it's just second nature. You know, so there's there's a lot of things that we don't know, and um, there's a lot of things that we have forgotten about. You know. They say humanity is a species that is uh that has gotten amnesia. And I'll say that psilocybin right. can help fill in some of that amnesia. Right. And um I feel like a lot of psychedelics, I mean, it can really help mankind because like the person that discovered the the double helix for DNA, he was on an acid trip. So mm -hmm. like imagine if um if scientists was more open to like doing stuff like this you know maybe we can have a cure for cancer or you know a definite cure for AIDS stuff like that yeah I mean I mean definitely I, I would definitely wish 
I think all those things are plausible, but I think from from a realistic standpoint, I think all these things are known about what can be done, but I but I but I believe that our society, our, right. our culture, our world is run by some very sick, sick individuals. And um they don't they don't want to see anything but human suffering. And uh that's that's the, the role that they have because they um there's there's different mindsets. There's there's a mindset of abundance and a mindset of scarcity. And abundance, a mindset of abundance doesn't push society the way that society's pushed right now in a in the capitalistic kind of sense, right? Capitalism is is uh is I guess made possible by scarcity, right? Scarcity drives capitalism, you know, because you know, if there's not so many other product, then you have to buy and consume so you have that, right? So not having a lot is, is what drives it. So I think this model of scarcity it puts it pushes humanity and it pushes society in a way in a direction that's not that's not of the light, it's not of God and it's not of anything that um you know not anything that we should strive to be, to be honest. All right, so before I, before I let you go, I kind of want to transition to the NBA. Um, by the time this air, I think the Miami Heat, they'll probably be eliminated mm-hmm. from, the, um, from the finals. I've seen you at a couple of games over the, um, over the years, especially, I think I've I think I seen you at, I think it was Rockets and Heat. I'm not sure, but it was like last year sometime. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but over this year, how do you feel about your Miami Heat? I'm so proud of them, man. I'm really proud of them. You know, to be able to um, to build the team the way they built the team, and you know, a bunch of a bunch of guys that just work hard. You know, talent coming together and finding a way to make it happen. Guys gelling together without the big name players. You know, I think that that is a way of um, of how basketball used to be. You know what I'm saying? And before all the big teams started to come along, and it's good to see that Miami. Um, starts the charge of bringing that kind of basketball back at a place like Miami that has such a lineage and history of having those big name athletes. You know what I'm saying? To to be one of those teams to to step up on a stage and compete against the big names like a super team like LeBron James have right now is um is very impressive. And and to not for nothing, they're holding their own. They're scrappy. They look good. You know, they look as if like. If they don't get this, get it this year, they'll definitely be competitors for the next few years. How does it feel to like see LeBron on the other side? Because you had him for a couple of years. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not like most people. I'm not territorial with LeBron. You know, I just I, I appreciate the mastery of LeBron. I appreciate everything LeBron is from an athletic standpoint. You know, um, you know, LeBron LeBron is a specialman on so many levels. To to be uh thrusted in the limelight the way that he has since the time that, you know, when he's 14, 15 years old and to um, really not to have too many missteps in the public eye and to be able to be the athlete and role model that he is, uh, he, he deserves a lot of credit. You know what I'm saying? So um, I don't get, I don't get on LeBron to the point where I'm just like, ah, oh, you know, you know, you know, he should be a Miami Heat. I'm happy he's out there and he's making the tough decisions. You know what I'm saying? And, w- and what he's really showing a lot of people is he's showing the fact that, and especially athletes, athletes get to the point where 
they get so loyal that it almost costs them their opportunity. Meaning the fact that they're willing to stay in a situation, in an athletic situation due to loyalty, right? Not wanting to be good, but then they waste their time, they waste the athletic window, and then it's all over. But then they're like, oh, at least I was loyal. But then now, you know, the coach or whoever they're loyal to can continue on and have other people that, that they coach and they can continue on to do good things. You know what I'm saying? They have more opportunities, but you were being loyal and you didn't explore your opportunities. So now, um, so now um, you can't, so now you can't, uh, so now you can't um, be on the, uh, be on that level. You know what I'm saying? Now you can't, now you're feeling a little bit upset. You feel a little bit cheated. So I think that, um, I think that, uh, athletes have to be able to make that choice for themselves. I think that athletes have to be able to say, you know, what's best for them and do what's best for them and not worry about the whole um, making the decisions based upon anybody else. I'm not saying don't be loyal, but what I'm saying is don't hold yourself back in the opportunity trying to do somebody else a favor because when somebody else has an opportunity, they may not and they most likely won't do what you're doing for them. Right. And what's crazy about this, like LeBron, he's vilified for like for 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 everything that that you just said. But at the same time, like NBA teams, like they'll trade him in a heartbeat if we have like a major injury. Oh yeah, there's just yeah. And and that's and that's one thing I can always appreciate about LeBron. He's one of the smartest in the game, and he knows how to play the game. You know what I'm saying? He knows how to play the game um, from the time that he decided to go to Miami. You know, he understood how to play the game and, um, you know, his choice to go back to Cleveland, give them a few years and go back. I mean, you, you can't be mad at that, but he, he, he finds the ability to make the hard decision and he makes the hard decision like a businessman. And that's going to be somebody when he walks away from the sport, he's going to continue to be, you know, on that level because he makes great business decisions. Is LeBron like your all-time favorite Heat player, or is it somebody else like Wade or? I, I like I like D Wade, man. I think D Wade is my my favorite Heat player. You know, I think that when it comes when it comes to just the person who, who D Wade is, just from the outside looking in, I don't know him personally, but just you know from the outside looking in, you know, um, he embodies everything that it means to be a Miami Heat. You know, I feel like he's just got that um, that that spirit about him. You know, that that I, I see resonate in, in in people in this area. You know, um, on a hard working level. You know what I'm saying? Like 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 here, it's very transient, but at the same time, um, you have people who hustle and they and they don't stop. You know what I'm saying? They they really work 24 hours around the clock, and they they have a grind and they have a loyalty, and they just you know. They, they have a tenacity, and you see that same tenacity in, in D. Wade. You know, that last year that he played, I was very impressed with the role that he played. You know, he played in as a guy coming – he played in as a guy coming in off the bench. He, he was whatever they needed, and he was one of the strongest guys coming off the bench, you know, and leading these younger guys and showing them how to be the champion. I don't think they'd be the team that they are right now if it wasn't for that year that D. Wade, D. Wade played with them. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and Wade, I felt he retired one year too soon, like because he could have been playing in the finals this year against yeah. Ron, uh, yeah. Ron and AD. Yeah, and that's and that's the thing. Like I feel like, like I feel like that year he took with them, 
the year that he he went back and he showed them, you know, a lot rubbed off on those guys. You know right. what I'm saying? They learned they learned a lot about how to hold that space. You know what I'm saying? And and that and they and they learned and they get, got a lot of confidence. You know, so yeah, man. All right, Rashad. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. It's been no problem, man. It's been a real pleasure speaking with a living legend like yourself. No problem, man. I appreciate you, my man. Take care. All right. All right. Thank you All again, right. man. Yes, indeed. Our double episode continues with Brooklyn's own Chris Colbert, who is the interim WBA super featherweight champion. The first question is like, what part of Brooklyn are you from? So like, so, so like Brooklyn has a long list of fighters like Tyson, Shannon Briggs, just to name a few. Um, like they all made their mark and their legacy in boxing. Like, how do you plan on continuing their legacy while following your own? Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not really uh, focusing on nobody else's legacy. They made their legacy. Their legacy that they made and is, is going to carry on regardless until the day they die, even past then. But uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, making my own legacy, uh, becoming a multi-world multi, multi champion and uh, being a big fighter and out the ring and a good person in the ring. All right, so um, your nickname is Prime Time. Like, how does it feel to have like the OG, um, Deion Sanders, like kind of give you his blessing, like to carry on that nickname? I mean, it feels great actually because uh, Deion Sanders is my favorite all around athlete, and just to be able to carry, just to be acknowledged by him to to carry that name, Prime Time, and then and to, and not only just to carry, but we remember that song he did like way back in the day. Um, it was like "Here Comes the Money" or something like that. Like I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'll be dope if he like came out to that song with you for like a future fight or something. Yeah, maybe one day. So, like, what type of music do you listen to to like get pumped up for like a fight? I listen to a lot of Rod Waves because I like his, his swag. Um, I got a, I got a particular playlist like it got it got YFM Lucci on there, it got NBA Youngboy on there, it got R Kelly on there. Yeah, people might look at it as R Kelly, like what the fuck? But the song World's Greatest, that's a must. I have to listen to that fight for at least ten times before I leave my locker. How about that new Conway? Are you bumping that? Say that again? Are you bumping that new Conway? Nah, I don't want to Conway. All right, so, um, like, so, like, how, so, like, how long does it take you, like, typically to, like, train for a fight? I need a good eight weeks and I'll be okay. All right, so, like, now, I, so now... What's your weight? 130, right? Right now? And you're ranked at number one? Yes. Alright, so like, how did it feel to like finally reach the pinnacle of like being number one and like winning the interim WBA Super Featherweight title? I mean, uh, this is just the beginning. I still got a lot, a lot more to go. But I'm blessed. I can't complain. I'm blessed. I made it here. And like, hopefully down the line, we can see a fight between you and Cruz or you and um, Alvarado. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm. Alvarado, um, Rene, Rene Alvarado. I'm not sure if I'm saying his his name right. I don't even know who So, um, like, um, your next fight is in November against, um, against Jamie. Oh, I can't say his last name. Yeah. Um, does like fighting in front of no fans have like an impact on the way that you're approaching this fight? Uh, to be honest, no, because at the end of the day, we're doing a black out the fans anyway. So, in the end of the day, I still got a job to do a tight dude, keep it, check the thing. <laughs> All right, um, like, do you have a dream fight that you want to see take place? Like, I personally want to see you and Terrence Crawford one day. Oh, I mean, I'm, Terrence Crawford too big, bro. I don't really have a dream fight. I just, uh, I want to be the... That I give the fans what they want to see. All right, how about um, Shakur Stevenson? I think that'll be a good fight down the line. Oh, yeah, that's a big money fight. I know I need him for sure. What would, like, a fight with, with Shakur mean to you? I mean, it would just be the best versus the best. The king was the king. And we're going to see who take the big crown. All right, so, like, I know, like, a lot of the athletes that I've spoken to over the past couple years um they play Madden to like kind of unwind like do you play any I play Madden alright what's your team on Madden Kansas City oh man that's that's cheating they're like the best team in the game I just like passing home. I like any quarterback that will run to be honest how about I mean, um Madden don't get no better every year they still do the same bullshit right how about like Baltimore Right now, they made the defense stronger than the offense. Last year, they made the offense stronger than the defense. Like, I don't understand. How about Baltimore? Do you um play with them and Lamar Jackson? And... Yeah, but they got him still fumbling in the ball. He only fumbled the ball one time last year. I don't understand. Yeah, um, probably once they update the rosters, I, I think no, they'll... No, no, it fucked the roster. They, since last year, he shouldn't have been alright so um you play with Kansas City on Madden but do you like support them in real life the real life um team yeah, Kansas, City, Kansas City Baltimore and Jets the Jets I'm sorry about that what do you um what, um, what do you think about yeah, what do you think about Adam Gates do you think he's gonna survive the whole season as coach, I'm giving him until like their bye week, and then I think he's gonna be gone. <laughs> All right, hold on. One minute. All right, do you play um NBA 2K any? Nah, uh, Do you watch it, like the NBA or anything? Do um do you think the Lakers are are gonna win the um the title this year? All right, so um, like, like I noticed um, you're putting money back into your community by like opening primetime chicken in in Jersey, like yeah. uh, like a lot of people don't do anything like that. So like to see somebody like you, like to um, to give us job opportunities, um, like something like that makes me proud. All right, so um, what other goals do you want to accomplish as a fighter? 
So we got it. Like I said, I just want to create a legacy that never gets forgotten. You know, make sure I make people, my fans, my friends, and family happy as they about career. All right. Um, a few more questions, and then we'll then we're done. Like, what has been like the best moment of your career so far? Uh, winning the title. All right, and um, what's what's next for you? What can we expect um after your fight in November? What's next for you? Hopefully, we can win that Leo Santa Cruz and um, uh, what's his name? Javante Chen Davis. All right, Pine Time. Thank you for your time, man. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, my boy. Appreciate you for having me. All right, man.